Hello, and welcome to the first official episode of Unlimited Opinions. I'm Adam Bishop. And I'm Mark Bishop. And Mark Bishop is my father. Uh, And so for the point of this podcast, we're going to be looking through A New History of Western Philosophy by Anthony Kenny. And my dad uh, is actually a philosophy major and is currently a lawyer. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? I am not only a philosophy major, I have a degree in philosophy. Yes. Um, yeah, so I got a degree in undergraduate degree in philosophy in the uh, school that most people think of when they think of study of philosophy, University of Missouri-St. Louis. Very prestigious. Yes. Uh, uh, and, uh, um, and then I went on to law school and became a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so he obviously knows a lot more than me about philosophy, so kind of counting on him to kind of guide me through this book as we read it. We read the introduction for this first episode. Uh, And the introduction really talks about the point of the book and I guess what will be the point of our podcast moving forward because the book will be the framework for our podcast. Uh, It really talks about how we look at philosophy, a historical approach and a philosophical approach um, based on either like how we look at it within culture throughout time or how we actually look at the ideas themselves. Uh, Very interesting book so far. Absolutely massive book. It's like over a thousand pages long. Yeah, so um, we decided to do a podcast and, and we had kind of practiced a couple times and it was unfocused. And so you came up with a brilliant idea of let's have a book and kind of go through that book as kind of a as a lead off of, of each podcast. And, and so you selected this one, which actually is over a thousand pages um, and was originally four volumes. Yes. And uh, it's been condensed, so to speak, into one rather large, massive paperback. It's, it's not very condensed. It is <laughs> very, very large. Uh, so, yeah. So, that's uh, it's, a, it's a good way to kind of jump off and, and kind of keep us focused, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, I uh, I don't know what you want to do as far as the first topic, but of course, the I think the first question is why would we study it or read it? As far as the history of Western philosophy, what's what's the point of this? Well, the book really says uh, there's two main reasons to study philosophy, and that's for historical context and a philosophical context, like I said before. We can really study philosophy either to get an idea of history and culture of people at the time, or we can look at philosophy in the way that it builds upon itself and how it leads to our philosophies today. I think there's a third reason. Because, what is that? Because it's fun. Because it's because it's fun. <laughs> because there's nothing more fun than picking up a over thousand page textbook, basically. Well, you know, fun uh, for, for us, maybe for, for each their own. Teach yes. Them. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So what? What? Um. Uh, what? What kind of thoughts? Obviously, there's he. He puts uh, Mr. Kenny puts forward like two, like you said, two main. Reasons to study the history of Western philosophy, and and uh, one's basically as a historian, the other one is a is the study the ideas behind the different philosophers as they evolved over time. And um, so, what's what do you think is the is what was your primary motivation? Just curiosity as a student of history, or are you more interested in the ideas, or or what? Well, it's hard for me to say because I know so little about it. Really, um, I guess I would lean more towards historical just because i know very little about philosophy in general so it's hard for me to say um that i'm studying this for the philosophical purpose uh, rather than the historical purpose because i probably know more about the history than i do the philosophy which are both very little but i feel like history takes priority for me personally really i think so 
I well, mean, why why do you care then? I mean, we could be talking, we could be studying the history of African tribes if we're just interested in learning history. Well, because I'm not just interested in learning history, uh, it's I should say it's easier for me to look at this in a historical context because I have uh, more knowledge of history. But I do want to learn the philosophy aspect. I think. Aha! Yeah, that's your primary motivation. Well, <laughs> well, I figured that would be obvious that I want to look at philosophy, considering this massive thousand-page book that I have sitting in front of me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know, it's uh, there's two different approaches, but the the I think the, the reason why you study Western philosophy is because pretty much all modern things that are good came from the development of Western uh, philosophy. And what makes, by, you, what by, makes you say that? Well, can you think of anything that developed uh, from uh, as, as far as a cultural or, or um, economic or societal major benefit that developed in, uh, under a different system other than Western philosophy? Well, I can't like think European? of any, but I, like I said, I know very little about philosophy in general. So, well, I mean, there's you know, there's other. You know, there's Eastern thought, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. the Chinese, you know, because that, that brought us the golden gift of Mao Zedong and Chinese communism. That's been it's been a great boon to society in the 20th century. Yeah, it's been wonderful. <clears throat> and so they've only been able to hold on because they've adopted certain um, theories of economic growth and modified it uh, under their totalitarian system. You know, they've kind of loosened up and adopted a lot of pseudo-capitalistic reform so that they can continue without uh, having people, you know, killing them and starting a new government. But be that as it may, yeah. I'm a little prejudiced in favor of European, uh, American, Western philosophy. Well, as lucky you for you, we have an over a thousand page book <laughs> called A New History of Western Philosophy. So I think we'll be covered on that front. Yes. So, so what is your primary motivation in what was your original motivation in learning philosophy, I should say, to get your degree in philosophy? Um, originally, I was a lot different than what I am now. I was younger then. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I was a little full of myself. I'm not now. I'm a very... Uh, oh, very humble. humble. <laughs> yes. Extraordinarily humble, I would say. And, uh, you know, the, the, the big thinkers and the, the, you know, the, the thoughts and the studying of, you know, the nature of reality and and philosophy and and uh, religion, God, morality, ethics—you know the big stuff. I thought that's everything else was a waste of time. It was also ultimately a little bit easier than calcul- calculus and uh, physics and yes. computer science. Yes. So um, I was really just kind of unfocused, but I really had a passion for it at the mm-hmm. beginning, and and then uh, over time. Um, uh, you know, it, at some point you realize, well, they're really, nobody really has the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, human, you know. Well, that's why there's the answer. over a thousand pages just looking for the answer. And I'm sure we, there won't be a definite one at the very end of this book. I think at the end of all of this, you will come to the same realization I did somewhere circa 1990 that I've been wasting a lot of time <laughs> <laughs> studying Western philosophy 
what on earth am I going to do with all this knowledge? And uh... <laughs> Well, maybe it's not so much the actual knowledge behind it, but the ability to really think these things through with the knowledge that you have, not just maybe knowing specific philosophies, but knowing how they got there and knowing where we can take it from there. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, I mean, I was just kind of joking, but yeah. it, it really does help you um, in, in how you formulate you know, how you look at the world and, and formulate arguments. Of course, it's helped me because the, the field I end up going to is, is in the uh, legal field and, and as a trial lawyer. And I took a lot of logic, the logic courses in, in undergrad, and that really helped uh, just kind of give you a format for thinking through problems and, and articulating, um, you know, arguments and, and trying to convince people, you know, of, of, what your position is and so it, it was it was beneficial it wasn't a complete mm-hmm. waste of time but but at some point i got kind of cynical about it because it's like okay well we can study these things at the end of the time and and never come to a uh, a definitive conclusion of course of course you know mr kenny actually talks about that i mean some of the mm-hmm. things the, the concepts over time that were the study of philosophy kind of once they were established became science and biology mm-hmm. and, and medicine uh, this started off as more of phil- philosophical discussion, a theoretical discussion, mm-hmm. and so it, it still has value, and, and even in, you know, especially in the medical field, uh, ethics, and uh, and uh, you know, the, the uh, as the science moves forward, and even like you know, like the computer science, you know, the ethics of artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and implications for all of us going forward, and and, uh, and for society, it's it's an interesting study, and if you if you don't have that kind of foundation of how the, you know, the different philosophers consider the, the main theories, you, you kind of left adrift and you're, and you're really trying to recreate the, the philosophy that they've already, they've already kind of mm-hmm. come upon and studied. And then a subsequent philosopher said, well, there's a hole in that theory. And, mm-hmm. and then it develops over time. And, and if you don't study the, the, the philosophers of the past, you, you end up taking a long time just trying to, you know, you, you figure out, well, wait, um, you know, maybe we should look at these and and uh, and study the the form of something or mm-hmm. some topic, and, and before you know it, you've you've rediscovered Plato. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, uh, that was already thought of uh, how many thousands of years ago, and and uh, it certainly would speed things up mm-hmm. to uh, to have read Plato's you know theories and, and then Aristotle and, mm-hmm. and Kant and Hegel and Descartes and all that. Yes, that's that's an impressive list just named off the top of your head. Well, there's yeah. uh, you, <laughs> you have the, the actually, table of contents. Yeah, but my glasses aren't yeah. on, so I can't actually <laughs> read it. But uh, no, I mean, you know, so, mm-hmm. so those, those are the big ones. I, I always enjoyed Kant, and I don't know if, if it's going to be in here, but there was one, there's one one um, one question that that when I was in undergrad that that everybody else was baffled by. And I'm kind of going a little off topic, but it's all right. There was um, it was a discussion of like you like like uh, and, and of course I'm gonna rehab I'm gonna have to relearn all this because it's been such a long time since I studied it but there was a scenario where where um, uh, uh, it was describing or trying to figure out whether Kant had uh, the right theory about like absolute uh, honesty or you know, whether it's ever okay to lie mm-hmm. and um, and the theory the the scenario was what if some you know, a woman comes banging your door and says, "There's a madman with a with an axe. Can I kill me? Come in. Can I come in and um, in your house?" And, and you say your letter in, and they shut the door, and then 
Dutton knocking the door and there's a madman with an axe out front. And the question is, do you, you know, do you, and he says, where is she? Well, do you, are you justified in telling the lie that she's not there? Or, or do you have to tell them the truth? I mean, is it wrong to tell the lie under mm-hmm. those circumstances? And you know, one theory is like, it's always wrong to tell a lie. Uh, I never really understood the question because I, my thought was you try to kill the guy with the ax. <laughs> I mean, uh, you don't ever get to answer the question, mm-hmm. but uh, that wasn't an option. Uh, so I, I think I got that marked off because I want to kill the guy with the ax or you die trying. So it's, you, don't even have, you don't have to reach the ethical question of whether or not mm-hmm. you have to tell this crazy man with an ax. But of course, that, I guess that kind of defeats the, the real morality kind of the question. Kind of a behold a man moment, like Diogenes with the plucked chicken. Just think, do you not know that story? I, I'm not sure. Um, I can't remember which Greek philosopher was, but they uh, philosophized that a man is a featherless biped. And Diogenes, who's kind of a crazy philosopher who lived in a barrel with nothing, uh, ran into the forum with a full plucked chicken and said, behold a man, to kind of poke fun at the argument i guess yes, uh, while like still following the rules really right i so like that yes you kind of followed the rules but still broke the argument i suppose yeah well yeah i don't know i mean it's uh, it, it, you know so the, you know i guess the differences between theory and practical mm-hmm. you know and i was always like well i just killed the guy i guess that's a fault um, of philosophy sometimes we're too concerned with too th- too the big yeah. picture to look at the obvious answer of right. well, the, stop the guy with the axe right the the you know the theory you know mm-hmm. it's important to study theory yes. I, don't, I mean you denigrate it but um theory without practical application is worthless yes anyway so what else are we going to talk about well we've talked a lot about you we've yeah, what about said you? nothing what? about me well, well you didn't ask about you i, I suppose i didn't <laughs> i don't need to ask me anything well, about me i know you're me. the host yeah so so i think you know you've asked me questions mm-hmm. and i I don't really feel compelled to ask you questions. You should volunteer it. I should just volunteer information about Well, I mean, as, as we talk in the discussion, you mentioned the Diogenes yes. barrel guy. Yes. You know, that was great. So why don't you talk about, you know, why don't you segue the conversation into why you want to study it? Why, why does a 17-year-old high school student... There you go. There's some information about me what nice nice little segue there why why doesn't a 17 year why does a 17 year old high school student want to study the history of western philosophy because it's interesting uh it's just my that's brilliant that's the most brilliant thing i've ever heard <laughs> i don't know it just interests me i've i i kind of like um looking at topics that don't really interest anybody else um at least my age certainly i mean anybody else would look at this massive book and say what are you even doing with your time uh, but for my purposes, I've looked a lot at really, uh, literature, linguistics, uh, language. That's what I'm passionate about. I want to major in linguistics when I go off to college sometime next year. Um, and really uh, a lot of my time has been spent with topics that don't really interest anybody else. Uh, as you're aware, I'm sure of my love for Tolkien. I have books all around my room here. If you look around that are mostly about Tolkien, not just the uh, fictional works themselves turn the camera so the so the viewers can see yeah the, the camera the, <laughs> our podcast camera yeah so that they can see um yeah that's a huge thing i'm passionate about is just looking into the history of things really looking at the reasonings behind why um things happen the perfect example is tolkien um not only have i read you know the hobbit lord of the rings silmarillion all that stuff i have the full history of middle earth series over there discussing why he wrote what he did and all of the past formats behind it. And I guess that's a decent analogy of philosophy, I guess, really. 
we have the final product here. Well, the final, almost final product or incomplete product because we don't really have a full answer, but we can look at the steps taken to get there. We can look at bone, what different philosophers built upon, look towards what we can build upon in the future. So what is the answer? Why did he re write those books? Why did he write those books? Yes. Uh, give me, well, give me the two sentence answer. The, um, to explain his languages. Really? Yes, he made languages first, and then he kind of doodled around with some stories. Um, a couple of them, he or I know of one that he wrote in the trenches of World War One. J.R.R. Tolkien did. He fought in World War One, um, and it, it's strange, really, how those stories evolved because he wrote, because uh, he invented languages, uh, several of them, many of them, too many for a normal person. Um, uh, so he took these languages and he wanted to create a history behind them. And he came up with these great tales of this. Uh, middle earth uh of arda the earth um and he took them and eventually some of them became childhood stories that he told to his kids and that's how the hobbit developed and really there's a neat little uh those are really dark stories to tell to children oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah they are <laughs> I mean, he's got a the evil uh eye or whatever well not yeah. not the lord of the rings the hobbit yeah, the, the hobbit, hobbit well, yeah. I, well the hobbit still had the the bad works and everybody's getting murdered and stuff well and it's, the, the, the scary um goblin yeah. dude what is his name it was the 30s. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they're, they're stronger back then. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Um, but that's very off topic. So but... he he literally, he, well, he, he drafted his own language. And yes. so he wrote those or, or conceived of those stories just to explain why those languages would exist. Uh, in a way, yeah. Because... So, what, so then do you know why he wrote the languages? Uh, because it was fun. Uh, he talks about language, really. I've read his biography by Humphrey Carter and uh, Carpenter, sorry. And Carpenter really talks about um, how he viewed a language. And he wrote about this in some of his letters. And he viewed it as an art form, really. And he looked at it the same way that we would look at music or at, like, the visual arts paintings and stuff. And he could see, like, the beauty behind it and how it got to be where it is today. Like, another metaphor for philosophy, I guess, if we want to go that way. How it builds upon itself, how it affects people in their lives. Uh, and really just how it gets to where it is today and how much beauty and love there is behind it. So, um... You look confused. Well, I'm just... Uh, well, I, I kind of lost my thought. Mm -hmm. So so, so he created the... So is it a romantic language? Is it based upon Latin? Um, no. I mean, well, there's... Several different languages. Um, Are we talking about like Elvish? Yes, and, there's, and, so there's the, different types of Elvish too. Like he was insanely detailed and they never really came to completion because he was such a perfectionist that he continuously worked at them. And really what we have uh, available today in the forms of the languages really aren't what he fully wanted. Like he, if he had lived for 20, 30 more years, you know, who knows how different they would be. So do you have like its own grammar and, mm -hmm. and sentence structure and all grammar, that? Grammar, sentence structure, um, alphabet for some of them. Oh. Um, and really a uh, couple of them, just the two most complete are Sindarin and Quenya, which are two Elvish languages. And Sindarin is based off of Welsh, uh, loosely based off of Welsh, similar sounds, similar uh, grammar in a way. And then Quenya is based loosely on Finnish, similar sounds, that sort of thing. Did, uh, did anyone else know of this language? Like, uh, could he write a letter to someone and they could read it? You know, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting question. Probably not. Then, if, boy, that's really fascinating because mm -hmm. it's so pointless. <laughs> <laughs> because music you can play for yes. someone. Uh, uh, well, creating your own language that no one can read. That is 
an interesting concept. It's uh, even even more in uh, in depth question of the point of doing that. Like like if uh, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there, does it make a sound? Well, if you if you write a letter in a foreign language, have you really written a letter? I mean, no one else can read it. You've written a letter to yourself. Well, I suppose you just have to find more people who look at it the same way that you do. You know, if you go up and speak the language in front of a crowd, you'd have to find the same people who view it as an art and really appreciate the work that you put into it. Even if they don't fully understand the language, they can understand the love and beauty that you put into it. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if someone who is Pentecostal uh, could speak in tongues, and that tongue can be Enya or whatever the... the Quenya. Quenya. Enya is a uh, band from the 80s, I believe. Enya. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, that's, oh, no. it's weird that you mention that, because <laughs> Enya has a song on the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah we really got tied that all in. <laughs> yeah, I know. We really went full circle. That was impressive. So, uh, so basically, you're telling the audience that you have a habit of studying pointless subjects. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is, I guess, that's where I've where I've gone with that. So, that's um, yeah, interesting. So it's just kind of like the the study that that the uh, creating the the language would be like an art form. Mm-hmm. I've never even considered that. That's not even just the creation of language, but just language as a whole. Uh, you know, to study it and to study the. Uh, all the history behind it. He viewed that as really yeah. an art form. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I can see that. It, uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, philosophy kind of ties into that because you, know, you have to use language and and, um, and the structure. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the early uh, debates and discussions between the early philosophers was a lot of semantics, a mm-hmm. lot of arguing about language and how you describe things and, and kind of got tied up in their discussions uh, but I guess we'll get we'll get into that as we uh, read further into this book. But uh, that's that's really why I want to study linguistics uh, when I go to college because it is so fundamental in every aspect of society. Basically, you know, think of an issue that doesn't have anything related to language within it. You know, you can't do anything without language, and I think it's something truly unique about humans. It's almost what makes humans human in their ability to communicate ideas that are like beyond our understanding, really. Uh, like these philosophical questions, like we can pose questions that we don't know the answer to through language, really. Um, Just like we can express, you know, what we don't know, really. And you've picked a good time to study because uh, uh, politically, uh, with the the changing language, where the, the, the left primarily is using language to control ideas and control mm-hmm. actions, by what is permissible, what you can say, what you can't say. So they control the words and what the, and, mm-hmm. and they're changing the words, the meaning of words, which they always, they, they've always done in, in modern communist and mm-hmm. socialist countries. It's, it's interesting how they, they keep doing it. And so you've, you've picked a, an interesting and a dangerous time to, to study language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that really is what I'm talking about, how it affects every aspect of society. You know, you can't argue against a bad idea if they don't let you speak. Right. If they don't, you know, you can't use words to express True. You know, what's bad about it. Yeah. And then and then um, the, the more powerful thing is to have a forced lie mm-hmm. so that they 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 tell you a lie and they they force you to repeat it mm-hmm. and they force you to say you acknowledge it as true. And that's the ultimate control 
is for, to make you say something that you know is false, but say it as if it's true. Can you give me an example of that? I'm not sure. Uh, a, a, a more common example is forced conversions. So like you see, you know, different re- religious sects com- uh, uh, um, uh, conquering a, 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 another uh uh, faith or another group and they like uh, uh, I'm reading a uh, biography of uh, of a guy uh, who was in Ireland and the English were oppressing the Irish and you know, Irish Catholics and so they would they had, during the Great Famine they had you know some aid so to speak to the Irish but they would have it at uh, Protestant um, charities and so they'd make the Catholic families uh, convert uh, to the Anglican Church in exchange for the food, so they wouldn't starve, and so they they're making them. I mean, it's a little bit re- different religious. It's not known to be true or false. It's just uh, the, the Catholics believed it was false, but they made them do it. And, and so you see those kind of forced conversions. But um, you know, uh, it, it, you know, there's I can't, I'm trying to think of a, a more modern example, um, but in communism. You know the the, the big lies. Uh, the people are not starving. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 you know, there are literally people starving in the street. You didn't see anybody starving, and and they make people comply with that. Mm-hmm. And that's you just lose so much control in yourself and, and that self denial, mm-hmm. and that's part of the uh, part of the control mm-hmm. of a totalitarian state and the most effective totalitarian state. It's like what I was saying about how language is kind of what makes human human. If you strip people of their language then are they even human they have nothing because you mm-hmm. don't even have religious faith you don't have you don't have truth mm-hmm. and um and philosophy is mostly a, a study of truth or trying to get closer to the truth mm-hmm. the big truth yes yes that's what they nickname me in uh, college the, the, big, <laughs> the big, tr- truth. big truth the big truth i <laughs> i bet i just I figured that that should be my nickname through this. I want you to call me for the rest of the podcast. I the big truth. Not calling you the big truth. I'll call you the little truth. <laughs> that is so unnecessary. Uh, so uh, so, what's going to be our? Do, do we have anything else on it? More on our introductory thing? I don't know. Our, unlimited opinions. Unlimited opinions. That's, that's the name of our podcast. Uh, so, how many opinions do you have specifically? Unlimited. I have infinity. Infi- infinity. Yeah. <laughs> that's the same I, thing as I said. Uh, you said unlimited. Yes. Uh, mine is a limit of infinity. So, so, so it's unlimited. <laughs> I don't know. Is infinity unlimited? I mean, I would assume so. Hmm. I mean, I think. Can you, might... you can you have more than an infinity? I don't know. That's. I mean, mathematically, you question can, you know, there, for, there, yeah, there, there are equations where you have infinity plus one or. Yeah. You know. But I don't know. I think that's a topic for later. Okay. Maybe well, even, you know, we're going into math. Uh, next time we record with uh, beginnings Pythagoras to Plato, so we have something to look forward to with Pythagoras. I hope there's uh, discussions of triangles. I assume there will be. <laughs> All right, should we go ahead and wrap up this episode? I suppose. Yes. All right. Well, should we end with a song? No. That is the last thing I think people would want to hear. We need to have some intro- in- introductory music. Oh, I'm sure are there you, will are be. You, are you going? You're going to add yes, that? I'm sure. Okay whatever listeners we have have already heard it oh well now wait a second yes how could they have already heard it if it hasn't been done yet because this is pre-recorded 
they're not listening to this live. Does this answer your question? <laughs> You've confused me. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, it's the magic of editing. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I've been Adam Bishop. I am still Mark Bishop. I don't think that's going to change. And this has been... Well, you used the past tense. Well, for this past uh, 27 minutes, or 28 minutes now, uh, I have been Adam Bishop for all those listening. Uh, and I'll continue to be Adam Bishop until next week. Until the next episode of Unlimited Opinions. Don't go change it. <laughs> that, that is not how we're ending this. <laughs> <laughs>